I did shave some of my tires. Damn it, Carol! Into the coffee grounds. I thought that it would be nice, you know. Oh, you get a little that like road flavor. Road rash. It's called road rash. Well, that's what coffee. you get after you drink that coffee. <laughs> Butterscotch. Welcome to episode 66 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. My name is Sam, and I make art things. My name is Adam, and I don't do that. My name's Carol, and I don't know. Carol doesn't even know. <laughs> uh, today is September 28th, 2016. I just got a little warning for you. Anything could happen on this show. Profanity, lewdness, nudeness, rudeness. Tudeness. Tudeness. Ooh. Rootin' tudin'. good times. So it uh, shouldn't be listened to by children. So if you're a kid, go away real quick. And you might notice that this week, Seth isn't down here in the podcast dungeon. Why He's is upstairs that? in his disease dungeon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's been quarantined. So the problem is that his house is the office. So all of us came in and ran downstairs, and then we're probably just going to throw him sandwiches, I guess, over yeah. the course of the day to keep him alive. But he's upstairs trapped in his room because he's sick and gross. Yep. Yeah. Offerings of sandwiches to the disease gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yeah. all came in. We all came in just with gas masks on, trying to avoid <laughs> the plague. It's really interesting that he. So we just got back from XPO mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, and he was somehow the only one who actually got yeah. sick. Do you think he got it from the show floor or from the airplane? Because I mean, both are high disease vectors, but. Well, I was sitting right next to him on the airplane, and so unless he was, like, yeah, licking trips, right? the seat yep. or you know, licking Seth, the passenger next to us. Since he's not here, we can just talk about it. And <laughs> he does he have a tendency uh, to lick seats. It's he like does that. Yeah, and he has a coward's immune system. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Because he gets sick literally every time we go somewhere. He gets really? sick, actually, as much as I do, doesn't he? Yeah. When he has a he baby. doesn't even have an excuse. Yeah. yeah. He has a baby immune huh. system just like you, but yeah. it's not a baby. It is just... Just a weak, weak, grown-ass <laughs> man. I wonder if there's, like, some sort of a inverse correlation between muscles and immune system. Oh, there might be. Like, mm. the muscles actually suck up all of your immunity. Yeah. Well, I mean, it all is just like is in there because yeah. all your blood is just in your muscles and it can't move anywhere. So it's just like trapped. It's just trapping your muscles. <laughs> so, so he might like all of his immunity might be like in a finger or something and it what can't if, get out. What if it's like lymph nodes where your lymph node swells up when you're sick? Maybe he's sick all the time. Oh. And his muscles are just swollen, disease. So he has some bags. sort of he has some sort of weird genetic def- deformation where instead of lymph nodes, he just has muscles. Yeah, and all the muscles Whoa. carry lymph around. That's really gross. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably what it is. Well, let's talk about uh, XPO. So I didn't go. XPO. I didn't go. In- for the exact reason of uh, trying to dodge getting super sick. So yeah. good work on you. I did it, and Adam took my space, and he didn't get sick. So I, I feel Not good yet. about this. Yeah. Although Seth is now a disease vector. That's true. Maximum magnitude. Everybody might get ended up getting sick anyways. He's, he's just like secreting phlegm from every orifice. He's just yeah. spraying it out like a fire hydrant. <laughs> Yeah, so tell me about XPO. Uh, how was it? What was the situation? You know, how was Tulsa? XPO. So XPO is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's their first time doing it. They've been prepping it for three years or some, yeah, something like it's that. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, so it was kind of a big project for them. And they're, they're trying to to start to make, you know, a games community in that area. So so they had this big event. Um but again, it was their first time, so they had a huge struggle trying to tell people about it and get people right. to show up mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But they invested a lot in bringing people in. So they had uh, a lot of exhibitors. It was all indie stuff, mm-hmm. um, but it was, you know, included uh, the likes of, uh, oh, what's the, what was the game right next to us? We Happy Few. We Happy Few. Oh, and cool. Yeah. Just Shapes and Beats. Yeah. And uh, I Expect You to Die, which is yep. a really cool VR game. A bunch of VR stuff. Yeah, they had a lot of VR. Probably at least half of the games there were VR, no which way. was really interesting to me because, yeah. like, I don't like playing games in public because I don't <laughs> like feeling watched while I play. I like to be in the dark, alone, on my couch, playing something and so, just experiencing it independently. And so when somebody walks up to you and, like, straps a thing on your face and you can't go anywhere and it's really <laughs> obvious when you take it off and you're like i don't want this <laughs> i was gonna um, say if you have to move your body around while you're not able to see how ridiculous you look is yeah. that like a it's like an extreme version of that yeah absolutely like i i it's total it's total performance anxiety in mm. public especially when the dev is there and so yeah when i'm like i can't even see what i'm doing i have no like i've, I've used very few vr sets yeah is it better being blinded so that you that while you know I, people are watching you can't see them. I won't tell. Yeah, I won't tell a little story about that because huh. in my 
my senior year of high school, we had to, our assignment in biology was to rewrite the words of a pop song to explain a biology concept. So I remember doing that. Ours was uh, <laughs> the song Apologize by Timbaland. It's too, is that all? Yeah. It's too late. So we, it, ours was about fertilize, fertilize fertilization. <laughs> I, I did a similar thing for mine that was about sperm. Yeah, okay. Because well, apparently, boys. That's what it is. Uh, so, let's just write a song about jism. So it was <laughs> me and my, me and my two friends hard. wrote this, wrote all the lyrics out, practiced it a few times. And then the day of, one of my buddies was like, hey, I have these sunglasses. Like, we should all wear sunglasses when we do it. Even though we're in a room, he's like, we'll turn the lights off. We're going to turn that crazy uh, Mac screensaver on where it's like a piece of plasma flying around and blast that onto the back oh, yeah. wall. <laughs> Like and then in a DJ set. Yeah. And then you just put the sunglasses on and once you have those on, you'll be fine. Like you can go. And I remember like all of us put the things on, whole thing set up and just sang like crazy people terribly, but just like just sang this thing out. And I remember taking off the glasses and being like, oh shit, because it was not like it wasn't dark. It wasn't the case that we were in like a concert hall. You know, it gave us a sort of mask of. Yeah. It gave us a mask so that we could actually perform yeah. more realistically than if we like we've been I would have been so nervous without those things on, I realized afterward. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of power to having that having that mask on your face in terms of mm-hmm. getting you in the zone for something. That's magical. I just remembered, by the way, that it was actually the song was We Are Flagellum that oh, I, I sang for mine. Yeah. Yep. To the tune of what? We are the champions. <laughs> 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 are- so it wasn't actually about sperm it was about flagellum but of course there was a line about sperm there because like, right of course okay as, as you do so uh, I forget about to that. get back to sam's point i so i i totally understand that for performance yeah but for playing a game and trying to solve puzzles hmm. the fact that so most of these headsets have speakers or you're wearing headphones or something and yet still somehow the dev was trying to talk to me and so, mm. like, they're trying to direct me, but I can't really hear them. And so I also can't really hear the game. And I can't see anything that's around me. And my glasses make it uncomfortable to wear. Mm. And so I was just in this space of, like, total self-consciousness. Interesting, yeah. And the pure inability to actually do anything. And so I didn't actually finish. Of, I played two, and I didn't finish either. Although one of them started making me kind of feel sick. Yeah, there's yeah. also that So problem. I was like, I need, to, I need to stop before I barf on your computer. Well, there was a, there was a <laughs> report that one of the first, uh, supposedly the first game, the first VR game to make a million dollars happened. So I even remember which one it was. Wait, I was going to so, say, which game even was so that? It's, it's, on, it's an article on games industry. I can't remember which uh, project it was. But that was in revenue, though. Yeah, in revenue. Probably Definitely. costs are very yeah. high. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Probably not in, co- in profit. Um, but there is a, there's an interesting follow-up to it where they're basically saying it's the whole there will be blood scenario where like because mm-hmm. it's it's sort of acting as a pseudo gold mine again for yeah and like mobile was and so there's a lot of people rushing into the space but the um the market itself is not particularly mature yet and so mm-hmm. it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a bit of a wild ride i think for the next few years for it a is lot of i think people. it won't grow nearly as fast as the mobile no. scene did because just because the sheer amount of equipment required yeah. to yeah. do it like um, the ubiquity of a mobile device yeah is exactly why mobile was able yep. to grow mm-hmm. and the fact that vr costs a lot for a headset and then a lot for the hardware yep and is also really uncomfortable in a lot of cases right. and it's very hard to develop for because yeah. unlike mobile where you can i mean today you can make an app in literally 10 minutes and put it on the app store mm-hmm. half an hour later right yeah. you cannot do that for vr and will not ever be able to because the kind of experience that you need to create for it is just much a much bigger kind of broader experience. Yeah, something interesting. I actually just saw somebody post on Twitter like a warning to developers for VR that as you develop for VR, you become desensitized to the feelings that you get oh, as you play. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure and true. so a lot of developers apparently will create games that do make people sick that they don't realize it. <laughs> and it's also obviously a working hazard of being a developer is that you regularly get sick while you're right. playing your own games. Right. It's just, it's I think so there's, weird. I mean, that that is not something that I think a lot of people think about when they think about developing for VR, uh-huh. that there's an actual, you know, concern. Like mental of, cost. <laughs> yeah. Of, what I heard with, uh, with Mortal Kombat even, it's like in developing... Developing a very violent mm. video game. Yeah, yeah. You'll necessarily get desensitized to it. With, yeah, with some of the stuff. But they said the animators are different because they don't use... The animators sort of like try to one-up each other. They, so they have a sort of a... <laughs> because they're, they're looking at just shapes and models. They're not actually looking at the full-on yeah. blood and gore stuff. And so they 
just make these ridiculous things. And when I actually see them in the game, it's, you know, horrifying. But the guy who has to go in there and, like, paint the guts. <laughs> There's a guy who, like, painted guts in Mortal Kombat. Like, a lot of guts, you know. And apparently, yeah, it kind of wears on you a bit, as you would expect, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I remember I was... One of the more recent Mortal Kombat's. Like, I haven't played any of that game for a long, long time, but I saw some clip of one of the finishing moves in that Dude, thing. They're incredible. Where somebody just gets like ripped in half down the middle. And like, you know, and I was like, this is, <laughs> it was literally the most gory, horrifying thing <laughs> I've seen. Yeah, and, yes. uh, and I've never, ever looked into Mortal Kombat since then. I did, I did go through and watch all the fatalities because. They are truly incredible. I mean, from an animation perspective, I the mean, most, yeah. just the sheer creativity in, in destruction. Incredible. Really yeah. gross. It's, yeah, it's no horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to Expo. Yeah. So, XPO. 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 So you guys did, uh, so you checked out the VR games, hung out on the floor. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty good chat with all the devs and stuff. The, uh, the possibly only in existence Nintendo PlayStation was there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I got to play Street Fighter with the guitarist from Bit Brigade, <laughs> awesome. which is one of the bands that was playing. He they they play uh, all kinds of game events over the country and the Bit Brigade sets were amazing. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me what exactly that what do they do for Bit Brigade? So they they play live music. So there's a guy in the band who plays NES and just plays live and at at XPO, they played uh, Mega Metroid Man and, and Mega Man. Me- yeah. Yeah. Is he like a speedrunner? Uh, kind of. Okay. So I, I've never really watched speedruns mm-hmm. in my life mm-hmm. because I don't usually care to. Mm-hmm. But I sat down and watched this, and it was just completely mesmerizing <laughs> to see yeah. this guy playing live, trying to sync it up with the you know with where the musicians mm-hmm. were. And then, you know, obviously really, really good, just rock music, rock renditions of the soundtracks. Very cool. It was, it was mesmerizing. Yeah, so the musicians are live accompanying the gameplay. So anytime something happens, they sort of change what they're doing to, oh, to match it. Yeah. yeah. But these guys were at PAX, and that's actually where we first met them. Hmm. And then they apparently play MAGFest every year, uh, which is another, it's the Music and Games Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's huge. And it's just, it was really awesome to see them in this really tiny space. Uh, with like there was maybe thirty or forty people in the audience, yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah. you could just concert. perfect view of the stage, <laughs> perfect view of everything going mm-hmm. on. But yeah, it's, it was some cool stuff. Yeah, it was interesting. It was uh, it was a small event. I think they got. I'm not sure if they got as many people as they were hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think overall it was a good experience. They had. I think they there were sort of two key flaws in the whole thing mm-hmm. uh, that hopefully they improve next year. But that had to do with just the timing of stuff because it was a Friday through a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Sunday was a half day. Friday was, of course, during most people's work, work day. day. It's a brand new thing that nobody's heard of before and, you know, and seen. Uh, and so they had, you know, a ticket price and like a weekend, a weekend pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but because Sunday was only a half day, it doesn't really make any sense to buy a one day ticket. Right. For Sunday, mm-hmm. which meant almost everybody who came to the event came on Saturday. Interesting. So Saturday yeah. was actually nice and busy and it was, you know, really fun and engaging. And then Friday and Sunday, because those are both basically half days for people, mm-hmm. were just really empty. Mm-hmm. But they yeah. were chill. I mean, like the people yeah, who I mean, were there were time, right? super friendly and super engaged. Yep. We sold a bunch of T-shirts. Mm-hmm. It was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. So, uh, yeah. And I, I like it was a really great opportunity. So most of the developers who were there were not from Oklahoma. There were a couple of developers from the area, yep. but pretty much everybody came in from far away, like mm. as far as Canada. Yeah. Um, and so it was a really cool opportunity to just get to know pretty mm. much everyone who was there, mm-hmm. uh, which you don't get at something like a PAX. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, having a smaller yeah, convention has busy. its own, yeah, it has its own advantages yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we made some good friends there and it was just, it was, it cool. was really memorable in that, yeah. in that capacity. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it always reminds me of, uh, when we started the St. Louis game jam and the meetup here, because it was literally four people yeah. at that first game jam. Right. And the thing is like the first one's always just the hardest. And we talk about this in game dev too. It's the same thing. I mean, getting your first successful game out is always the hardest thing because no one's paying attention. No one knows who you are. No one trusts you at all. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing when you're doing community events and stuff like that. So I do hope that I continue to do it because it sounds like it was uh, all the, all the parts were there. It's just one of those things that might need some time to grow. I actually have a funny story about the St. Louis, the first St. Louis game jam that I don't know that I've ever told you. What's that? Uh, I remember being invited to come to this by mm-hmm. your old boss, Nick. Mm. <laughs> and I, I, I distinctly remember them stopping me and being like, I know you guys really like making games. This is before we started making games with mm-hmm. my old studio. He's like, I know you guys are really into games, so y'all should come to this thing. It's called a game jam, and we're just going to be in the office. There's going to be a handful of us. We're just going to make games all weekend. And I was like, being in a small space, 
with a bunch of stinky dudes. Please, God, no. And now game jams are like my favorite thing in the world. And now so you're in a space with like 250 stinky yeah. people. Oh, yeah. And it's very stinky, <laughs> but it's so good. Oh, it's hilarious. I wish I would have known what a game jam actually was because I would have loved to participate in that. Yeah. But I don't know that yeah. I ever told you that I actively rejected. Re- refused to go? <laughs> Thanks, Carol, for uh, crushing my hopes and dreams way early on. <laughs> There's, I mean, there is a true hurdle there, though, because, yeah, if uh, it's not obvious, that would be Fun. a good experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not at all. Let's go work for 48 hours straight. With yeah. a bunch of strangers. <laughs> With a bunch of strangers who smell weird. In an yeah. enclosed space, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a hard sell when you put it like that, you know? Yeah. But for those of you listening, if you've never gone to a game jam, you should go to a game jam because they're amazing. Yeah. And you should bring deodorant and maybe bring some extras and just hand them off. To just, yeah. Anytime you see some, just, hey, <laughs> you got a little stench going on. Yeah, bring, Have a little baby some stick. Mouthwash, some gum. You know, That's just... something I really want to start putting into the goodie bags for the St. Mm-hmm. Louis Game Jam. We yeah. always have freebies. Oh, yeah. So we'll have free shirts. Do you think you can get a sponsor for? I really want to. See if you can get Old Spice. Old Spice, yeah. Is, do they make ladies deodorant? Because I don't want I it to seem so. like Move it's just degree. Degree. Degrees, good. Degrees, fine. Is it strong enough? It's strong enough for a man, but. Made for what's the pH pH balanced pH balanced (laughs) strong enough for a man but pH pH balanced for a woman that is that's the line there's no way yeah it is no way I believe that for a second (laughs) (laughs) pH balanced (laughs) nonsense I don't even know what that means in the context of a deodorant it doesn't mean anything like when you put like one of those pH strips under your arm it turns pink instead of blue it turns out it's a seven so you're (laughs) at neutral I want one of the most highly acidic deodorants I could find. Yeah, you want to burn your armpits Burn off. the armpit. Yeah, just burn everything Actually, off. Actually, I had it's, deodorants that do that. Yeah. Although I, I mean, shave oh, yeah. my yeah. armpits. It's just probably as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to some industry news. <laughs> let's stop, stop talking we? about Carol's <laughs> clean-shaven <laughs> armpits. And the stinging that comes with them. <laughs> Improperly pH-balanced deodorant. <laughs> so uh, some interesting uh, industry stuff's been going on. One of which is that, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the Steam store's changes to the review system. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steam's always working on improving their uh, storefront to kind of stem the tide of problems that come with having a shitload of games on a platform, which mm-hmm. they're they're already at. And they're, of course, ever-increasing how many games are on there every day. So uh, they're making another suite of changes to the storefront. Uh, which I'm not sure if they're out right now or if they're rolling out over the next week or so. Um, but they're they're coming soon anyway. They're coming very quick, and the whole the whole thing is uh, it's, I mean, it's got a lot of, a lot of really interesting uh, sort of curious changes to see how exactly they impact. Most well, we should devs. say before we talk about it that the main problem that developers and stores face is a discoverability problem mm-hmm. because there are enormous numbers of games, enormous numbers of players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and matching those up to maximize every, what getting everybody what they want because if you give players what they want, they buy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and this is an issue. Developers on, get paid. Yeah, this is an issue on almost every platform that's yeah, out there, and especially the bigger it is. Yep, the more games there are, mm-hmm. the harder yeah. it is to get the right game to the right person. Yeah, and there's even a problem for you know companies like Netflix who do the movie thing where they mm-hmm. recommend oh, yeah. movies. Um, they actually had an algorithm competition, which I think was worth like a one million dollar competition yeah. for a better algorithm a few years, years ago. Yeah. Um, and because the whole the whole problem is exactly that, which is okay. You have someone's history of what they bought. Uh, you have their history of what their friends have also bought, which sort of can lightly influence it. Um, given the fact that, you know, we have a couple hundred games coming out every day, which ones should you actually show them is kind of what the question ends up being. Uh, the old model is essentially more of what you see on on mobile or really any, any older storefront where they just have an editorial feature board mm-hmm. where the editors choose the things that people get to see. And while that's great as far as those whoever gets those editorial uh, positions, it ends up doing this weird thing where uh, a lot of times any given player may not actually see something on the app store or see something on steam or Google play that they necessarily want maybe for like a period of weeks, Mm -hmm. potentially depending on what they're into. And so uh, the biggest, the coolest thing about this is that steam already did a few changes with this, I think last year, year and a half ago called the discoverability queue. And the whole point was just to, again, use people's data of what they've already bought and then serve them up 10 games that they could flip through and say, I'm interested or not interested or just buy it. And, uh, and they even gave you rewards for flipping through all those games. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's been really successful for them. I think they, they published some numbers on it about how it bumped revenue across the board by like 20%. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which is nuts, yeah. right? And so the whole point is like... Yeah, it turns out if you give people access to the things they want, then they'll buy yeah. those 
Yeah. yeah. So uh, the, a lot of the changes to this to the storefront actually have to do with uh, with this discoverability problem, mm -hmm. as probably will be most of the changes from here on out. Um, so they're doing a sort of a refresh on the homepage as far as looks and stuff, cleaning it up a little bit, getting rid of some distracting information, and then they're adding uh, they're basically adding a a curation page or a curation section. So curators that you follow actually will be whatever games that they suggest will be in their specific place on the homepage. So they'll actually make more of an impact on your theoretically. On your shopping. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that's been the biggest complaint so far is that Steam curators... They're sort of sidelined a little bit. Yeah. They, yeah. It's, it's harder to find what they're actually suggesting mm -hmm. unless mm -hmm. you drill down and actually look at their specific right. page. Yep. And then there's uh, mm. they're highlighting uh, friends as well, what your friends are playing recently. It's going to be a new sort of thing. Oh, cool. Um, and the biggest change for us on our end is as devs, it used to be the case that when you when you launch your game on Steam, you just get a blanket X number of, uh, of eyeballs on it as the first sort of pass for your launch. It's like a million or so impressions on the, fr on the front page. And that's essentially you being rotated into the editorial queue. Um, just algorithmically, and then depending on how well you did, they would surface you more or less. Yes, yeah, so they would measure your click-through rate and how many people buy the game and that kind of stuff. Right, and so the interesting thing that they're doing now, though, is, of course, they just pointed out that it's not a very good model because the click-through rates are abysmally low, no matter, even if it's a really successful game. It doesn't matter because they're surfacing it to so many people, and so what they'll do is actually changing it to uh, essentially giving you less overall visibility but much more highly targeted visibility. So in other words, they target it toward people who given the genre and other things about your game are more likely to buy it anyways. Although cool. if they're doing this at launch, mm -hmm. that means they don't have the data they would need to do good targeting. Yeah. You won't have user targeting, but yeah. this is the interesting thing. Um, they're also changing how they do the update featuring. So whenever we want, we can actually queue, we can essentially cause uh, a visit, what's called a visibility round to happen uh, for our game. And at that point, it sort of resurfaces in a little tiny space on the Steam homepage. Um, we've done this once before, and we noticed that nothing happened, basically. So, um, like, I think... Well, a bit happened, but it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't... It was nothing like what happens with a sale or, or right. something like that. And that's even though it gets surfaced on the front page. And so, um, they're making a big change to that as well, which is doing the same thing, where the targeting of that... Basically, the whole point is that the targeting is just getting way better, supposedly. So, they'll bring... So they'll bring you to a small number of people, but bring the visibility up so that Correct. instead of just being a little tiny thing in that little queue, you might like go up into the carousel. I believe or so. Yeah. Okay. And so the, the whole idea is just to, to move toward more, more and heavy, uh, heavier user targeting. So I'm really curious to see what, what actually happens with this. And I think yeah. it's, it's also surprising. Um, we've talked about this before, but it's, it's always been surprising to us that the mobile stores haven't been quite as keen on, on implementing these sorts of uh, yeah store changes. And I mean, Google plays a little bit better about it. And we can tell with our, like our, as far as our tail goes, it seems like people discover the game a little bit easier when it's not featured. Um, but even then, like they're, they're pretty far behind as far as uh, solving this discoverability problem. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's like if you, if you open up the Google play store these days, though, mm -hmm. most of what you see is actually stuff recommended for you. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it is mostly, uh, you know, statistically curated based on mm. on what you've already done. Um, and I know that certainly when I look at my recommended stuff versus like the you know top lists, that's a way better. Yeah. The top list is just garbage, right? It's just like right. here's the random stuff that uh, is trying to pull all the money out of my pocket, right? Yeah, right. The, the, the things that the general public likes that you will absolutely despise. Right. Mm -hmm. And even then, I'm not sure that that's what the public would like, right? That's it's, that's yeah. what they've been served. Yeah. yeah. And so that, I mean, the, the, the one, the big problem with these kinds of discoverability things is that it's uh, it's a positive reinforcement of whatever you have been exposed to before, mm -hmm. right? So if you boot up the app store, uh, you know, boot, I guess Google Play for the first time, and all you're going to really see is, you know, the top grossing games list because that's what they want to show you because that's where most of the money comes from. And so you see that or, or the newest games, which are going to be basically clones of all those for the most mm -hmm. part. So you go download a few of those, the first games you see, and then... Now your curated list is going to be Ten. just like that. Yeah, that's right. True. Yeah, and so now you look at your selection, and now it's it's games that are just like that. So you download yeah. a few from there. Now your curated list is even more like that, right? right. So it's, it becomes a positive feedback loop where if you're not exposed to enough diversity from the beginning, then you end up in an echo chamber where all you see is the stuff that you first saw. And it, it and kind it, of sounds like the internet in general. It absolutely yeah. is the internet in general. <laughs> but the, so the problem with these kinds of and you know this is the thing we talked about with like Facebook a while yeah. ago, right? Where they're only showing people pictures of babies because they know people like babies, right? right? <laughs> uh, which is like, it's, actually, it's the main reason I don't. Don't actually use Facebook is because I don't want to see people's babies. babies. I do. 
I, I'm right there with you. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's fine. I hide They're all of those. They're just gross. Posts. Yeah. I think exactly. you unfriend people, but I just hide them. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love babies. I've started just hiding and hiding people and stuff. Okay. That's that's better political yeah. <laughs> move. I think. I hate uh, you now that you have a baby. <laughs> We're not friends. Uh, but yeah, so. Uh, so you have to get this echo chamber problem and then how do you break out of that? Yeah. The only way to do it is to seed in stuff that you haven't seen before that's outside of your genre. Right. So to me, that my big worry with these kinds of changes is uh, the, the one huge advantage of having one curated list or, or have everything have a fair chance of appearing on the front page for everybody is that it basically seeds diversity into your queue of things that you want to go check out because otherwise you would never even see those things and never have the opportunity to look at them and, and make a decision for yourself. Does this look like something that's interesting? Unless you are willing to explore the charts and things right. like that. And the vast majority of people are not. Well, the yeah. vast majority of people, and, the, and most people don't even know, like don't even think about it. They just look at what's there. If something looks interesting, they go buy it. And otherwise they play games that are already in their list. Uh, and so, so I think, I think this is, it is definitely going to boost revenue across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess anyway, I'd be surprised if it didn't because people will buy things that they like, right? So mm-hmm. so people enjoy being in their little echo chambers. Um, but in terms of diversifying people's tastes and, you know, understanding of what games can be and all that, I think it's actually going to be a net negative. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. I mean, my, I, mean, I think that's what's happened sort of across the board. I mean, I think this is true for Netflix too. Like the stuff that I get shown on Netflix is exactly the stuff that I want to watch. Right? <laughs> right. That's true. Which is like action-y Bad, badly written right. cop shows and stuff, right? Because <laughs> that's the stuff I love just like burn time on. Uh, but I don't actually see stuff that might also be interesting to me. Which of course, usually like, I wouldn't watch it anyway, right? But every mm-hmm. once in a while, if something piques my interest enough, then I'll go diverse my... I mean, it's almost like having a, uh, you know, sort of a stumble upon yeah. option would be kind of a cool thing to do. Even stumble upon, you curate them. That's true, yeah. You tell it what you like first. Yeah. yeah. You should have like wild cards, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. hey, we don't know if you're going to like this, but... You've looked at 300 things. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I think that makes sense. Range. I think, I think it would be really interesting, especially from, you know, from, from a game curation standpoint to offer the, what we would recommend and then find something that's just a little fringe and just start putting those little kind of mm-hmm. slightly more diverse elements mm-hmm. in there. Just one or two, you know, if you always only play these kind of desaturated triple A games with big beefy men holding guns, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we pop in something like Hyperlight Drifter would you click on it? Right. Yep. You know, Although and even better if you throw in something like enter the gungeon. Right. Cause you love guns. <laughs> right. But now you can diversify. Yeah. Cause, Cause to me, it's actually the way that this, like this way, the way it worked for me anyway, is that to diversify your tastes and experiences, you always need to just take a small step into some, some other thing. Right. So you take an aspect of the stuff that you love and you can, and if you just keep on following that trajectory, you can end up enjoying just about anything. I mean, for me, I almost only played first person shooters for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what games, I think it was actually mostly Portal, probably, mm-hmm. Portal and Half-Life 2, that kind of pulled me out of that, even though those are still first-person games, but they're now, like, really puzzly, and then Half-Life 2 has a strong narrative component, uh, and it's still a puzzle game because of the gravity gun, mm-hmm. right? And it was really those two games because they weren't the strict first-person shooter kill-everything experience that I, that I had really just, like, glommed onto uh, allowed me to see something interesting about other kinds of games. Yeah. There's more to the world than murder. Yeah. And so I think a cool algorithm would be to actually identify games that sort of like bridge genres and stuff, you know? And so people who are like deep in a genre, try to show them stuff that's similar, but is actually different so that we can pull them slowly out of it. Right. This is actually something I was going to, I was going to ask the question of, um, from a statistical point of view, uh, is it not the case then that the genre that you choose, the genre that you choose to launch your game under. So Crash is an interesting example because it straddles like, Six different things. Yeah, yeah how do you decide what genre a game like thing, Crash right? Lands So is. if you say we have RPG, we have adventure, we have narrative driven, we have blah, crafting, blah, blah. we have crafting. Yeah. So uh, which a lot of people associate with survival, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it's not a survival game, and mm-hmm. but you have to understand that from a marketing standpoint. And so the question is now, how like how big of a deal do you think it's going to be as far as which one of those genres you choose at launch, and what you know what I'm saying? Like what sort yeah, of statistical fallout is it because if be? they don't. Because the way that these normally work is they take data on who's bought the game and mm-hmm. who looks at it, what their click-through rates are, et cetera. And then they say, well, all these people bought the game and you statistically are like those people. Therefore, we'll show you that same game because you'll probably right. like it, right? But when nobody has clicked on it yet, because nobody's seen it mm-hmm. yet, that data isn't there. So, so they're going to have to go by the genre tags. If they're going to target That's the only it, yeah. thing. That's that the only get. thing that they have. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that kind of targeting is going to be, it's going to be really weird 
because right now genre, as we know from digging into the stats on, on these things, basically doesn't have a consequence on Steam mm. because it's mostly meaningless anyway. Um, but also because of the way the system works, just genre isn't important. It doesn't it doesn't do anything. Yeah, you can you know curate a list by genre, but because genre doesn't mean anything, then every time you do that, you just see a bunch of stuff that's really different. So who mm-hmm. gives a shit, right? Uh, so probably it's really completely un- underutilized. But if you start making it seem important by making it so that, but I, I don't even know how you would do that like, are they just literally going to say this person plays a lot of games with the tag RPG, survival right. this one has a was defined tag. by the developers to be survival right. so we'll show it to those players maybe i, I mean they haven't surfaced exactly how they're doing yeah. it, of course because if that's true that's all this thing going to require us to like we, we need to, we'll need to buckle down and do a lot of stats again what's well, right, the thing so this, this always ends up with uh whenever these changes happen there's this there's a concept of app store optimization mm-hmm. um which in the game dev world basically means choosing what keywords and what definitions to use, what descriptions to use and blah, blah, such that your game gets surfaced to as many people as possible. Yeah. And it's super tough to make those decisions and it's Mm -hmm. super hit and miss. Yeah. And you'll see anytime you see a game on the app store that has a name that's like hundred characters long, they're like (laughs) puzzle game with dragons, explosions, adventure Mm -hmm. quest or whatever. (laughs) Um, That's actually what they're doing is they're playing the app store optimization. They're just trying to make it so that whenever Whenever you search for something roughly in their domain, that you end up seeing their thing. Right. Um, so you kind of run into this this problem again, where it's like, okay, so once people identify, my point is, once people identify what the <clears throat> highest uh, number of people fall into as far as like general genre playing category. So if it's RPG, for example, mm-hmm. and we do know this from mobile, like less people play more uh, complex games. So strategy games, uh, 4X games, that sort of thing, yeah. have a smaller audience. So they are more likely to pay for those games. Yes. Then something like an action arcade game or RPG, a, a easier, yeah. simple RPG. So my question then becomes, do you just start slapping tags on? Just really irresponsible slab tags. Tags all over. Tag slapping. Well, but the one thing that, that <laughs> Steam has uh, that the other platforms don't, as far as I know, is user supplied tags. Right. Yeah. Because but you can't have those at launch, is my point. No, you can't have those at launch, but right. you'll very quickly accumulate those if you show it to enough sure. people. Um, and I, so I, to me, this is the main problem is that, is that there's going to be some weird, if they're going to, once you go away from the blanket, everybody sees it. Mm-hmm. And at least at the, at the initial out, outset, right? Then you're going to have to bias the outcome in some way. Right. By deciding who to show it to. And as soon as you do that, if you only show it to people, so if you take a game and only show it to people who like RPGs, for example, uh, then those those people are going to, maybe they'll go add some user supplied tags, but those will be done by people who RPG. mostly love RPGs, right. Right? Yeah, right? They'll have a certain way of approaching games. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll tag it in a certain way. Interesting. And that's going to be another feedback loop. So now all of a sudden, it, it, so then I guess now think about the other scenario. If you take the same game, so take Crashlands. If you take the same game and put it into the survival category instead. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden, it's not a survival game. So people play it and they're like, fuck this game. So they, lo- they lower the mm-hmm. rating a bit, right? And they tag it with things that probably for them are like, they're trying to push it out of the survival category. Right. And now all of a sudden it's got a lower rating. And it's got a more diverse and different set of tags than it would have had it gone to the RPG crowd mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. And those are positive feedback loops right. because of now it will be shown to people who so it's are the interesting thing like where it's that. like, so the original, in the original case where you just show the game to a million people and say, mm-hmm. who's going to buy it? You have an unbiased intro. In, intro, right. Yeah. So the, so the question here basically becomes what if steam chooses wrong? Exactly. That's essentially what the question is. Well, it's not yeah. even wrong. It's that there is no right choice. Right, and whatever they choose will will bias forever the downstream outcome. So that's a terrifying prospect. Great, it, it absolutely is. Like, I mean, I mean, to me, the, <laughs> oh my god! The, the only way to get around it is to have a really intense like survey or something about the game that a developer has to fill out that like adds all these details right. about the game so they can try to match it up with existing games. Um, and uh, and or just to have this blanket, everybody sees it at at the very beginning pause mm-hmm. and then you see it and, and i think i personally i think that's the best way is is have a system like steam's not not like the app store necessarily where there's a highly manually curated set mm-hmm. but instead have more like what steam has where everybody gets a shot mm-hmm. right every game that gets launched will be shown to some number of people like at the top of the store mm-hmm. uh so that you and because if you do that with enough people and you allow people to contribute information, yeah, a diverse, a diverse, a group diverse of people group, as right. opposed to right. a very highly exactly. selected. So you take a diverse, huge group of people, let them all decide whether they're going to download or not because they're, now they're now they're making the decisions, right? The group right. is making the decisions, and then you start targeting it after that to people like those who actually liked it. Right. So mm-hmm. rather than replacing the current model, you add a second it be phase. A hybrid model, exactly, yeah. a two phase model, which which is probably more like I mean that, that's actually what Steam's is right now. Right. As far as it we is, know, yeah. right? Is they show it to everybody, collect statistics, and then they pop it into these uh, statistical cues like Netflix mm-hmm. and, and show you things that you might like. Uh, so 
I don't know. I'm not convinced that that something like what you've described as their new system mm-hmm. is going to be good for that reason. I think it is going to result in increased sales for Steam. Sure. But I think this is probably one of the first changes that Steam, if, if this is what they do, one of the first changes that they'll have made that I think acts mostly in the best interest of Steam, hmm. not in developers. And frankly, not in players, actually, either. Because players will buy more stuff, but they'll be buying more stuff like the stuff they already have. So they're mm-hmm. not getting... Any diversity of experience, they're just seeing more things like they already have. So is that where things like bundles could be useful in that if yeah. you say you pick up, you know, the humble indie bundle right. and it's just got 15 right. really different, really interesting games in there. Right. And you pop those into your library and you start playing those. You start pumping time into something that you wouldn't necessarily think that but you would like. Most people will buy bundles because they like a game in the bundle. Yeah. And they never play the rest of them. They never play the rest right. of them. I mean, That's how, fair. How many, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that may so, or may not be true. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and we know from our own experiences that that's true, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those things that it, it, just, it just is true that if you show people stuff they probably don't want, they're not going to get it, right? But this the problem by just embracing that fact, like, like frankly all of the app stores have done, by trying to only show you things you'd be interested in and so on, is that you get accustomed to only ever seeing things that you are probably going to be interested in. This is like a, this is essentially the general problem with algorithmic driven. Yeah, uh, it's sourcing it's the of feedback loop. Yeah, of because you if lose you get the soul, yeah, <laughs> or you lose some of that, it's the whole like variety is the spice of life situation. Yeah, right? and if yeah. you, you but if you get life. accustomed to being served up exactly what you would probably want, that's exactly the kind of experience you've already had over and over and over again. The moment that you get served something you aren't automatically by default interested in, you're absolutely going to reject it. Mm-hmm. But if you're shown a diversity of things so that you always have to be like consciously making a decision, do I actually care about this? Do I actually care about this? And so on. Then it requires you to think for a second before you reject mm-hmm. something. This and is so, starting to get deep, actually. This yeah. relates to so many things more than just games. It does. It relates, to, it relates to your entire life. Yes. Wow. Because <laughs> that's true with people, too, because we've gotten seek experiences like the ones we've already had. Yeah. And the more we have those experiences, the less we want other experiences. It's very true. It's it's just super interesting to think about that, you know, the the more we curate, the more we let Netflix pump us full of, you know, comedy specials and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. documentaries about social the change. Thing. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> then you suddenly start, I mean, I've noticed this with myself, like you were saying, you see all of these action shows and then suddenly they throw something else in there. It's like, why the hell would I want to yeah. watch a rom-com right exactly. now? Exactly. Like, right. What? This isn't, and then I get mad at Netflix for having its algorithm wrong. Yeah. Right? Like, like, you're supposed to show me what I want, yeah. not this other stuff. <laughs> right. How dare you recommend this for me? Do you even know me? <laughs> Netflix? They're like, yeah, we know you very well. Huge yeah. corporation I probably, spies on my every move. <laughs> right. I probably would have enjoyed that rom-com. Right. Because they recommended it to me for a reason, which is that people who mostly like pretty bad cop shows also like that show. Yeah. You know? Was it The Notebook? <laughs> I cried I like did a not. baby at The Notebook. <laughs> I did not enjoy the notebook. I have uh, seen it. Did not enjoy it. I mostly yeah. don't enjoy rom coms because it's about it's always about a stalker being creepy as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're and super sexist. Yeah, it's just it's horrible and gross and I don't like it. Well, I think so it's an interesting thing though, because I think uh, that you talk about this sort of the idea of calcification of interests as you get older mm, and calcification, calcification of just your your personhood. Like a lot of people have a hard time, uh, really have a hard time sort of shifting direction of who they are as a person as they get older. And like the more you do the stuff you've been doing, the harder and harder that becomes for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that we've, we've slowly developed systems actually to reinforce this stuff, even on like, even the way Twitter works, for example, like you follow people whose opinions are the same yep. as yours oh, for yeah. the most part. Facebook is kind of the same thing. Um, you you don't look at pictures of babies anymore because you're like, I don't like babies. Never show me babies again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even like the cutest baby picture in the universe, yeah. I would just reject out of here because right. I've seen too many of it now. Yeah. And, but I think it's an interesting thing, right? <laughs> because it, it starts sort of narrowing your narrowing your focus in a really curious way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's after the, after the debates the other night, which mm-hmm. we don't need to actually get into. There. But I noticed <laughs> that like on all of my social media, all of my feeds were very like-minded and mm-hmm. I like, it was super comfortable for me Yeah, because it was just nothing but people thinking the same things that I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, it was nice. But at the same time I was like, this is giving me this false sense of security Yeah, that everyone in the world thinks the way that I right. do. And it's this sort of confirmation, the confirmation yeah. bias of just assuming that, you know, I've surrounded myself by th- people with similar ideologies, mm-hmm. but that can't be the actual. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the danger comes, 
comes when you make, as you're saying, when you make the assumption that the stuff that you're seeing reflects the stuff All in the of world. It. Right. right. But if as long as you don't make that assumption, then then maybe you're okay. But right? the thing, because, I, yeah. the thing I'm saying is like they, that's a harder and harder thing to do because of the fact that literally, so if you look at Twitter, even your Google searches, everything now is is not done in such a way as to surface any sort of uh, variety in content. Yeah, or a variety of viewpoint. It's to show you stuff you. It's show you stuff want. you want to see. Yeah, and so you end up running this really weird problem where, like, yeah, you could say as long as you're aware of the fact that this is happening, but I think that's not even the case because sure you can be aware of it, but how can you possibly discount? Like, if I went to go Google search for something and I just get the same ten results, no matter sort of how I put in the the question, trying to figure out something, then that's oh, that's the information I get, right? The first three links or whatever, you know. But usually, that's the information you needed. Usually you know? it is. And well, because this, this, this is the trade-off, right? Is if you get shown stuff that you want or the stuff that you is probably what you're looking for, then you get exactly what you needed and you get it quickly, right? Mm -hmm. If you if we seed in there or have worse algorithms or whatever that, that basically throw diverse stuff at you, then you are confronted with noise all the time. Mm -hmm. Because for the most part, the stuff that you're looking at is not relevant. It's not something you're going to look into. Uh, and it makes actually just a worse overall experience for you. It does sort of confront you with the idea that there isn't just an answer, mm -hmm. which is probably a good thing. Um, but but the blame is not usually cast on, oh, because people have different opinions than me. The blame is cast on, well, Google's algorithm, algorithm sucks, right? right? It's not <laughs> right. showing me what I want to see. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, and but I also want to get back to that idea that that seeing like diverse political opinions, for example, mm -hmm. as being a good thing, because mm -hmm. it depends on what those like. I see no value whatsoever in having horrible racist stuff be visible to me, like being sure. thrown onto my That's feet. That's very and stuff, true. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, I know that there is a large political faction who shall be remain unnamed. Uh, <laughs> that is racist and sexist and homophobic as fuck. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I know that exists. I know it's horrible. Every time I'm confronted with it, I'm like, this is, it's horrifying. This is abhorrent. Every time I see it. I know it exists, and I know there are many, many people who are horrible, mm -hmm. exactly like that. Uh, I know it. I know it's there, but I don't need to see it, right? I don't need That's to have true. it. I don't, need to, I don't need to follow a homophobe on Twitter <laughs> to diversify the worldview that I see, right? Because right? I know that it's out there. Uh, but I, I think the value comes in, in following diverse viewpoints only when they are reasoned diverse viewpoints so that you can actually have a discussion. Sure. Because the problem with, especially with something like politics, is that there's no reason there. It's just people spouting uh, internalized beliefs and, and that's it. Without yeah. their, their goal isn't to come to a deeper understanding of the world. Their goal isn't to come to a consensus about how to approach a social mm -hmm. justice problem, right? Especially when it's a binary choice yeah. like this. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. there's, there's not as much thought put into it as you would if there was a diversity of choices along right. with the diversity of opinions. Right. So, so, you know, I, th I think, uh, and th there, there are certain kinds of views that can be reasonable, mm -hmm. even if people disagree. And that I think is absolutely worth exploring and people need to be exposed to that. The problem is that the vast, vast, vast majority of stuff out there is just garbage nonsense being spouted. Right? Yeah. So, I think what's interesting to me in seeing, in seeing diverse opinions along those lines is just understanding the mindset, understanding yeah. the mentality, understanding yep. why yeah. mm -hmm. beyond just like, I mean, racism, sexism, and homophobia is a very clear reason why in a lot of cases, why some people right. feel the way that they do. But for those of the, for the, those people who I know who aren't that way, but still feel politically pulled in a certain direction, like, that's what I'm curious to learn. Like, right. why, you know, like, what makes you make these decisions? Mm. You know, because why? Because then you, you can know. have a reasoned discussion. Right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's that's what's interesting to me, because whether or not I would change my mind, <clears throat> um, I still, I still, my goal is to learn and understand as much about other people as possible mm -hmm. and have an understanding of other people's experiences and reasoning. Mm. Um, and so that is the only thing that, like, I feel like might be lost in just a, a constant stream because then you just feel like there's no point in discussing this anymore because we all feel the exact same way. Right. And then it actually starts getting into discussions within the same ideologies, and that can actually start creating because people yeah. always want to look for yeah. ways to start they arguing to make sure about that something. They're right, and that you're yeah, wrong. yeah, right, yeah. Like you feel slightly different than I do, even though we feel the exact same way. Right. So we're well, just gonna and honestly, I actually I avoid the echo chamber also yeah like i mostly even though i'm very far left leaning if i see somebody starting to spout left ideological viewpoints i hide them immediately mm. right because again even if they're spouting stuff that i tend to agree with they're doing it from a, a place of complete ignorance and nonsense they don't they're not thinking about things they're just being like "Ooh, this quote sounds nice like 
look, everybody, Hillary's the best, right? And like, they're not actually thinking about anything they're doing. And so there's no value to be gained there yeah. from seeing that kind of stuff. So I actually just, I avoid the echo chamber. But mostly I'm just looking for what's happening in the world. So I have a sense of like kind of what's going on. And then otherwise I stick with stuff happening in the industry, trying to understand how are people selling games? What do people think about the most recent games mm. news, right? And whatever, because then there's like, there's now a thing that I can actually study and I can look at reasoned opinions about stuff. Uh, and, and fortunately a lot of that, when you, once you take it out of politics and stuff, then now it's about something that isn't so fucking polarizing so that the general, in general, the things that you hear people saying are now reasoned. Mm instead of completely insane. Well, I mean, there's there's plenty of interesting psych studies on this where it shows that if you, when you have people actually get into a confrontation of some sort with regard to especially political ideology, um, it polarizes yeah. endlessly. Oh, yeah. And this is, this is the interesting thing I think about because everyone's been talking about how in this particular election cycle um, and even just the past like eight-ish years, uh, the level of polarity in American politics in particular has been really kind of ratcheting off the charts a bit. Yeah. It's designed to be polarizing. Yeah. Well, the thing is like it's, I think it's, it's, it's only partially that I think, I think the reality is that the tech that we use, like the idea of the echo chamber, right? Um, the tech that we use is also, it's reinforcing in the same way that this whole yeah. positive feedback loop from like, what genres do you look at on Netflix or on Steam or whatever else? It's the same. It ends up being the same thing. Well, yeah, and if you're the kind of person who doesn't think about things, Right. Well, I think I think it's a it's a it's a weird thing to sling around though because I think most people so most people trust that the systems that they uh, you know put their faith in with regard to it, like how who selects a movie for me whatever yeah. else or is that or that what the thing, news is talking about yeah or what the news is talking about is that yeah. that thing has been done in such a way as to make it uh, done correctly right yeah. so unbiased ideally in the journalistic sense right. um, but in the case or of biased Netflix, in a way that feels fair. Somehow, yeah, right. and I think the reality is that as you start seeing with the storefronts, with Netflix, whatever else, like the the reality is that the sources are always working on algorithms that don't necessarily work in that for for that specific value purpose, right? They're not yeah. necessarily driven by diversity of opinion or yeah, they're they're gearing it toward their readers. Yeah, they're exactly. gearing it toward what is going to create the most click-throughs and the most, you know, the most views yeah. and readers will actively just avoid the publications that mm -hmm. they don't agree with. Yeah. Which causes increased polarization. Yeah, right? that's yeah. absolutely Which right. causes also those publications to lean more and more those polarized yeah. directions because they're readership serving up for their does. clientele because that's what they yeah. want. Which is where the whole point of Steam comes in, yeah. right? Right. And, well, and, and then to go well, back to this problem Steam of- politics. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as you're confronting somebody <clears throat> who just doesn't think about the thing because they assume that what they're being served up is somehow fair, then that's really where the problem comes in. Right? Yeah, but I think that that's my point is that, that the general idea that these things are not necessarily fairly served is not one that's been entered largely into the the general mind. Of well, people. it is, you know but saying? only it's it's the other team. Yeah, right. Who's, who's being <laughs> right. unfair, right? As because somehow everything. we're all on different teams mm -hmm. instead of trying to build a consensus mm -hmm. together. We all we all must be fighting everyone else. Oh yeah, because if people are different than us, fuck them. Because humans. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to a few questions before we wrap this podcast. I up. would like to. I would like to just <laughs> clarify that that was sarcasm. <laughs> that was yeah. 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 Yes. All right. In case you could tell. Questions. All right. Questions come from <laughs> podcast at bscotch.net. You can ask me with your bscotch ID or anonymously. But if you ask me with the bscotch ID, you get a perk, which has a coffee mug on it. Very important. It's very cool. Just like the coffee mugs that we drink from, but not at all. Actually. So the first question comes from. In that it is a coffee mug. It is a coffee mug. There coffee is coffee in inside. Yeah. We. Although Andy does put butterscotch inside of his coffee, in, inside of his, in his coffee, he mixes it in inside yeah. of inside yeah. of coffee is a vessel. <laughs> Apparently, it's that delicious. sounds like a poem. <laughs> coffee <laughs> is a vessel. <laughs> All right, so first question comes from Nichirnu, who asks, "Do you guys play board games? And if so, what are your favorites?" Duh. Oh yeah. Talk about board games, nerds. Oh, nerds. Uh, so I think my favorite, my favorite board game that I have ever played is a little fringe game called A Fake Artist Goes to New York. It's <laughs> Japanese. Have you played this? Did I? <laughs> we need to play it sometime because it's amazing. A fake artist goes to New York. A, a fake very artist goes title. to New York. Uh -huh. It's so good. It's uh, it's made by a Japanese company, and so like none of it is in English. It's got some rough yeah. SEO problems too. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Like, how do you search? Um, how do you it? find it? <laughs> yeah, right. There's a reason it's fringe. So the idea is that there's it's sort of like Pictionary, I guess. Hmm. Um, but so there's one person who is the artist curator, like the curator of the museum, and they pick a topic, any topic, and they write it down on all of these cards and give it to everybody at the table. So everybody has the same topic except one person has an X. And so then there's a piece of paper, everybody has a different colored marker, and there's a piece of paper that goes around the table. And everybody can draw one line to represent the topic. Hmm. 
So that you just one contiguous line and it goes around twice. So the person with the X has to pretend to know what it is that they're drawing to get away oh. with being the fake artist. So everybody's drawing <laughs> this artwork for this supposed New York museum. But someone's just adding gibberish into yeah. it, basically. So the, the idea is the museum curator wants the fake artist to get away with it so that the topic needs oh. to be simple enough that the fake artist can figure it out. But all the real artists want to out the fake artist and figure Weird. out who they so are. So it's like a strategy, Pictionary, yeah. lying, hidden role sort of thing. Yeah. Weird. It's just, it's absolutely brilliant. And actually, um, I mentioned this on a panel fun. at Pixel Pop uh, a couple of years ago and introduced it to a bunch of new people. And like everybody who picks it up absolutely loves it. Huh. And I've taken it to conventions and stuff. It's just the best time killing thing. And you just come up with such weird stuff That's pretty good. when I you like play. It. It's so good. Okay. So yeah. Highly recommend. Uh, I have a bunch of games that I really like. Um, I tend to try out lots of different ones, though, so I don't really have any any favorites. But I think the one that I have the most fond experiences with, mostly mm-hmm. because it was you know college time, which is full of fond experiences, mm-hmm. uh, is the Dune board game, mm-hmm. which I think was made in like the 70s or 80s or something. It's out of print. I'm pretty sure you can still find really expensive copies on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of my friends had one, uh, and and so it's this very elaborate game that's it's got lots of steps to it and it's got lots of lying and intrigue and politics right just like Mm. the actual book dune uh and so and there are all these like hidden win conditions so you choose fat you end up with a faction uh somebody might think they've won but it turns out that your win condition was actually satisfied so then you win instead Uh, and so it's it's just very elaborate really well crafted cool game and it takes place with a board on the you know like on the planet of dune and so Mm -hmm. you're also traveling around trying to make things happen uh and it's just it's very cool and very well done, um, but it's so elaborate. I haven't played it in years and years uh, that it requires some hardcore nerds to like get together and really want to play it right. to, to actually do it. So I have not had that opportunity in quite some time. It sounds really, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Dead of Winter in that everybody yeah. has their own win condition. Everybody has their own goal that they're trying to fulfill right. and it's all completely hidden from the other players. Mm. Um, only in that pretty much everybody's on the same faction unless you're a zombie sympathizer, <laughs> right. which may there's or may not exist. a zombie sympathizer? <laughs> yeah, there's like, there could be, depending on how many people you're how playing with. How does that even work? <laughs> yeah. There's people. There's like a person there's, for everything. Yeah, there's someone who, like, for whatever reason, wants the zombies to take over in Dead of Winter. Clearly, it's a zombie game for those of you who haven't heard mm-hmm. it. And it's it's similarly hidden role, but there's the possibility mm. that somebody isn't that kind of opposing force. Uh, but even in that case, you're sort of suspicious of everybody who's on your team because right. otherwise it's co-op, but you're still totally suspicious of everybody else who's trying to get their own little win condition <laughs> fulfilled. Right. That's awesome. I think mine is uh, Forbidden Desert. Yeah. Mm. Also, there's another one. Forbidden Island. Yeah. Apparently like the same sort of idea same, yeah. where you build the board out of these little tiles. And so it's like a five by five grid of these square tiles. And then you as the players uh, essentially crash land on this sandy desert planet. And the thing you're fighting is actually a PVE game as a board game, which I think yep. part, part of the reason I probably like it so much is it's the first, it's actually one of the first board games, co-op board games I played. So uh, it's really cool because the storm slowly, there's a storm raging that slowly picks up over time. And it occupies a space on the board. And every time it moves, it dumps a piece of sand onto oh, cool. that board, that board piece. And so you and your people have to sort of like, you have to spend energy to dig out. You have to spend energy to find. And you collaborate on every move. So it's still, it's still turn-based, but every yeah. time it's your move, like everybody's discussing, figuring out what the best move is yeah. for that player. And yeah. everybody has a specific role. And so they have a specific skill set that they can use. Yeah. And so I think one of my favorite ones is uh, uh, when we were in the hospital, we played for business a lot. And I was playing as the the navigator and the navigator's trick is that they can use one of their action points. You know, you have four action points and they can use one of theirs to move someone else three spaces. Hmm. And so we had the situation where like the storm was rolling in and the, somehow the game balances itself such that you always just barely win when you win. I love that. That's the and best designed PVE it's kind incredible. of board game. Yeah. yeah. So there's always stories coming out of it. And we had this one where I ended up flinging two people to the ship using my skills and then uh, hid out in a cave. And then the next time someone like someone jump jetted me or something like that, Mm -hmm. jump jetted to me and then I jump jetted with them back to the ship or something like that. And so it was this crazy, like, it was like a 10 minute discussion to figure out exactly how to do it. Yeah, doing the logic given. puzzle based on all the turns yeah, coming up. It was and all so that. fun. So we got Forbidden yeah. Desert, a, star, a, a fake artist goes to New York, yep. Dead of Winter, and Dune. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are suggestions, right? Oh, cool. and just a little plug. We didn't mention this, but my card game, uh-huh. Pass the Buck, a game of corporate responsibility <laughs> management, just got accepted into the Indicate yeah. Showcase. Which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, um, check that out. Where is that? <laughs> Where are you going to be for that? Uh, it's in LA. So it's the Indicate is at USC. 
and it's the it's an official selection for the table games. So if you're going to be there, come play it. I'll be there demoing all weekend. It's going to be awesome. Cool. Okay. Uh, last question. I think based on how much time we got left. Yeah, let's see what do we got. I think I started the timer five minutes late, so we're, s- we're sitting at we got about ten minutes left. Classic. All right, we'll do a, a question or two. Uh, the next question comes from Peace and Bullets, which is Wait, a great peace name. Peace and Bullets. Peace and Bullets. Nice. Hmm. Who asks, how many more games are you going to create before you smash all your characters into go-karts and make a B-Scotch Universe racing game? And then he says, or a brawler. Three. Yeah, or a brawler. Or a party game. Or and a party said, game. What, okay, here's a question. What sort of game, what genre of game would you want to make where we mash all of our characters MOBA. Together? You want to make a MOBA? No, make a MOBA. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. Oh, God. No. I actually, I do want a party game. I think that would be yeah. a lot of fun. Mario yeah. Party is like one of the best... Mario Party is incredible. And yeah. WarioWare. WarioWare, so good. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so you think more like a party game, less like a racing game. Well, uh, racing would be good, too. Racing's so fun. Yeah, racing is fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think the the in terms of just game, from a game design perspective, party games are great because it's all about just, like, fun and gleeful stuff. and you mm-hmm. know. So it doesn't really matter if it's perfectly balanced. It doesn't yeah. matter if it feels fair. It just matters if it's ha- if you have a really good time playing it. And so in some in some respects, making it quite unbalanced actually increases the fun, right? But a racing game, it's got to be really balanced. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. if that feels unfair, even a little bit. But if you think about the blue yeah. shell Mario, that shit's not fair in any stretch. It's, no, that's designed it's to de- create fairness. Yeah, because otherwise when you get in the lead, you can't be taken out of the lead. Yeah, this is one of the issues uh, back with my old studio at Happy Badgers. We were working on a racing game, and they still are. Uh, and that was one of the biggest hmm. points of play, uh, play test feedback is how, if I'm knocked way back to the back of the race, how am I supposed yep. to be able to catch up? What kind of rubber banding is set in place? And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what made us discover that all of those goodies in Mario Kart are specifically designed to help balance. Yeah, and they're play. weighted so that if you're in the very back of the line, you get oh, yeah. things like the bullet that bring you up, and you get things like yep. a blue shell that knock the leader out of the front. Yeah, very much. Uh, and uh, and if you're like in second place, though, you get things that are kind of like undirected, right? Like the green, green shells, shells and stuff, yeah. because like Bananas. at that point you're close enough anyway. We don't because then it feels unfair if like you're in second place, red shell, and someone. you nuke, you know, the front guy <laughs> right. with the blue shell. Uh, so yeah, so they, so they use those things to to add balance to the, to the game because otherwise yeah i mean a racing game unless it's really highly skill-based like a lot of more realistic ones where if you just take a turn slightly wrong then you fuck it up and now you're right. like not in the lead anymore and everybody's really tight anyway but something like mario kart if you're in the lead you can just stay in the lead mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and if you're if you're a little bit better than everybody else you just keep on extending that lead and so, power slides man yeah it's all about slides. the power slides mm-hmm. and, and memorizing the course and, and all oh, yeah. that right uh and so and i think i think there's something really valuable in having games that that don't make it so that somebody can just be the best at them. Yeah, a lot of elasticity. A lot of elasticity because, and this actually goes back to the thing about like Forbidden Desert and Forbidden Mm -hmm. Island being really fun because they're player versus environment, so it's a cooperative game. Because like, I don't know, I think having winning be a thing you strive for, I think is just shitty (laughs) in games, you know? Like, why Why have that be the valuable end result instead of in the end, like, well, we all survived and we had a great time yeah. together, right? Instead of, oh, damn it, I lost this time because right. you did better than me. It creates an unnecessary tension for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's something about that. Like, there's a lot of people who really like competition and yeah. they, they feed off of that energy that competition gives But they can them. only play with other people exactly like that. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just horribly yeah, frustrating. I used to, one of the things I remember happening was when I was sort of finding new friends in college is that I would invite them over to play Super Smash Brothers. And I could tell within like five minutes if it was the sort of person I wanted to actually be around long term because of their reactions to how they how they handled winning and losing. Because some people when they win are like mean about it. I am. Yeah. And some people when they lose are also mean about yeah. it. Some people are half and half. We'll yeah. pick one of those things to be sore about. Um, but it's kind of the problem with this kind of a game though, right? Is if you don't, because they're designed to have, you know, a winning component, because mm-hmm. the, the more skillful you are, the more you can win, right? So either you have to care a lot about winning to play the game well, because then you have to practice because you want to win, right? Uh, which then typically makes you have less fun when you play when you're not winning. Yeah. Or you have to not give a shit about winning, which is like my case, um, which then removes all incentives for you to like practice and mm. be really good at it. So then you just lose constantly, which even if you don't really care about winning, becomes really boring yeah. after a while, right? <laughs> yeah, Where you just terrible. come and you're like, I don't know what's happening, and you get crushed right. and repeatedly. I mean, I would argue that any any multiplayer game is not going to be boring as long as you're spending time with people. Yeah, unless those people care about winning. Yeah, that's true. That is fair. Hmm. Yeah. But so I'm but then, but then in- a game where that's a competitive game that you play with people where nobody cares about winning, you know, just, it's not even fucking co-op game. You know? yeah, yeah, exactly. no, that's absolutely true. <laughs> then it's true. not fun anymore anyway. 
I feel like I'm somewhere in between that because I grew up with a very competitive household with very competitive mm-hmm. siblings, mm-hmm. but I'm bad at video games. <laughs> so you've had to sort of ratchet it down yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so it's like, just like lower your expectations, <laughs> you know? And so I, it, it's really interesting when we play Rocket League, I never expect to win. And so when I right. do, I'm like, fuck yes, yeah, right. this is the best. <laughs> but um, I, I think it, it took me a while to train myself that like winning wasn't important because I think I used to be one of those people mm. that was a huge asshole, either oh, yeah. whether I whether I won or lost. It's just kind of like that that natural gamer reaction, uh-huh. right? Of competitive of, reaction. Yeah. Hell yeah, I'm better than you, sucker! Or, <laughs> oh, fuck you, you're better than me, right. sucker! Like, <laughs> right. Either way, you're upset. It's a weird yeah. condition. Yeah. You know? And so it, t- it definitely <laughs> takes some maturity and some training. So, but I do love that about any game, any any collaborative or uh, competitive game, is that it, it teaches you so much about the people that you're playing with. I, mean, I still yeah. think one of my favorite ones, and I still highly recommend it, is Super Mario for the Wii. Mm-hmm. Adam and I used to play the shit out of that, yep. and I played play that with one or two friends uh, in school. And it was always the most fun because it's completely cooperative. Like your point is to get to the end of the level, but you accidentally murder each other constantly. And like, there's something about (laughs) that particular element of it where it ends up being, if you're with people who aren't those like winner focused where they're okay with dying essentially and dying by the cause of their friends, (laughs) then it ends up being this basically just this laugh fest the entire time because you're just murdering. Well, because you're in your collaborating, but then one of you fucks up. Right. And it's it's just amusing, right? You're collaborating into murder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My, I have to say my absolute favorite co-op experience Mm. is Octodad. On co-op. Oh yeah, you and I played yeah, those. Yeah, we played those. Hilarious. Yeah, and it's just like that's that's that same level of frustration where well, it's because you control different limbs. Yeah, you're controlling <laughs> one guy. You're controlling the Octodad, and especially if you set it right, it just mm-hmm. switches up limbs every single checkpoint. Yeah. And so you're constantly talking, you're constantly communicating about you know what limb you're controlling, but it's so frustrating. <laughs> because it's really it's already hard to control Octodad. Right. Yeah. But then when you're controlling it with two different people on four different limbs. And they're shifting all the time. <laughs> it's really interesting to see how people collaborate yeah. during that. Cool. All right. Next question comes from Kevin who asks, Is it possible to make a new genre of game these days? Yes or no? No discussion. Yes or no. Uh I guess the first question is, what does a genre even mean? Answer the question, Adam. Yes or no. I'm gonna go yes. with yes because the question doesn't mean anything. All right, Adam. Or also no because it doesn't mean anything. Plants <laughs> don't exist. <laughs> 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 Will all games be lumped into an existing category? Yes or no? I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? Is that a fault? Is that the what? same question? It's a follow-up question. There's three questions here. Of the new of the new genre? Will all games be lumped into an existing category? Probably like as in probably as in if you make a game in a new genre, does it get so here's here's what I think genre just means uh, an overall game experience that feels sufficiently different from everything else. Uh, that consequently Lots of people clone that thing. Um, and so now kind of the original, the predecessor of that, somebody comes up with a word or a kind of a collection of words that sort of summarizes the essence of Basically, that like thing. They did right? the Doom. Was it Doom that was the first first person shooter? Yeah. Yeah. Or the first I think the first big one, right? That that really blew up. Yeah. Roguelike is the most hilarious genre mm-hmm. name. Yeah, I know. It doesn't <laughs> mean it just a goddamn means, thing. It just means that when you, you die, die, you get set back well, somehow. It means nowadays. That the game is like Rogue. Well, well it's supposed to be. It was the original meaning, right? Right. Where but it permanent. doesn't actually mean that anymore. Yeah, because now you see, like, because, uh, for example, because we called, uh, like, Quadrupus is roguelike. Right. And people are like, yeah, makes sense. But if you compare it to Rogue, that makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's nothing like Rogue. It's mainly about permadeath, right? Right. Like it really all it is is a permadeath signifier. Yeah. But even that is loose because people, there's shades of that that you can use. Right? Yeah, because you might start over literally from scratch or you might start right. over having upgraded some meta game content or something. So the whole point is, that, but though it's it's a it's a heuristic, right? So yeah. genre is a heuristic for people. Yeah. So when you say, can you create a new genre of game? It really is about, the question really to me ends up being, is it possible to create something that's far enough afield from everything that currently exists that you have to come up with a new term for it? Right. Or then the case of, um, the most easiest recent example to me about this is League of Legends, as mm-hmm. far as like a MOBA. Mm-hmm. But that actually came from Dota, which was itself a MOBA. But that was the <laughs> thing that moved, moved which actually out of an from RPG. Expand, from a mod for, for Warcraft? For Warcraft, World, yeah. yeah. Which came from, but that's a, essentially a modification of an RPG, right? So the thing yeah. is, kind of like our conversation earlier, about sort of taking baby steps out of a particular area to slowly get into a more diverse place. Well, it was, it like, it was actually a modification to an RTS. 
right, originally. Right. Well, then, which itself that had some RPG in exactly. it, and then they sort of focused on that. And yeah, yeah so, it's very weird. You I'm just, just like gonna say there's that. a lot of acronyms being thrown around <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, the point is, uh, I think you can make a new genre game. I think you can. It just means doing something new, new enough, new enough, new yeah. enough that if someone else did it, you can't it, make that a they, new genre on purpose. Well, here's the thing though: if if you if it was new enough that someone else if someone else made a game that was like your game, they yeah. said that you cloned it, right? I think that sort of is the. So 2048 is a threes like. Yeah. It's a threes like. It's <laughs> yeah, a threes like. <laughs> and, uh, well, and I think like, so if you take, but the thing is you can do a new thing and then somebody can go clone it, but you can't do that on purpose because the part that makes it a genre is other people taking an idea and then giving you credit for it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, for example, all of a sudden a whole bunch of games start coming out that have inventory, but it's infinite. And somebody was like, hey, I think Crashlands was kind of the first one to do this. Mm-hmm. Then they'd call it, start calling it a Crashlands like. Right. Right. But really, that would, all that would mean is infinite inventory. Exactly. It would mean exactly one little piece. In the same way that roguelike means permadeath, even right. though rogue itself, of course, had a lot more components than that. Mm-hmm. But that was the item that like, they did that, that really was super interesting to people that they hmm. pulled out as a game mechanic and put in lots of other stuff. Um, and yeah, there are other implications of that genre as well, but the only one you need to call it a roguelike is, is the permadeath. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think also, also procedural yeah. Generations, those two things. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I think we're out of time. Yep. Probably. Good. We're at. We're at, we're gonna call it. All right. Well, th- that was it for this week's podcast. Uh, as always, share it around. Tell your friends. Tell your babies, who we will not see pictures of. Mm-hmm. Tell your dog. Tell don't your let f- your babies listen to this episode because we were really mean to babies. We were yeah. kind of mean to babies. I'm sorry, babies. It's okay though. They don't understand because they're so dumb. <laughs> 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 All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.